today in First uh, Timothy four verses twelve to sixteen. The Bible tells us very plainly and very simply that we are to give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, and to doctrine. Basically, we are to give attention to God's word. It's such a straightforward and easy to understand text. And I would also say, I think it should be a very agreeable text for churches, for most churches, especially for conservative, reformed churches that say about ourselves, we, you know, we are sola scriptura, uh, sola scripture, uh, which is, um, you know, putting God's word as the main focus of our church. It's such an agreeable text and straightforward text that one wonders why we need a sermon on a passage like this. When I was in seminary, there was a time when my church at the time asked me to lead a short-term missions team to a village in Taiwan. This village in Taiwan was a small rural village. Its main economy was mushrooms, farming mushrooms. There was no church in this village. In fact, the place was full of temples and idols. And when I say idols, I mean the literal physical idols and not just idols of the heart. The local god, the, the most prevalent temple that was there in this village was the mushroom god. They worshipped the mushroom god. And according to our host church, which was from the big city of Taipei, no one had been there to share the gospel for at least a generation. So our job was to run a week-long Bible camp for, for the kids. Uh, actually, the, the Bible camp was run out of the elementary school during the summer, one week during the summer. There was no church. As a bright-eyed, um, I guess, optimist back then, to prepare for this trip, I went to uh, the, the missionary organization, the missionary arm of a major reformed Presbyterian denomination, and I participated in what they called a vision weekend, where I was taught all the different ways we could do missions through friendships, through relationships, through coffees, through conversations, through gifts and whatever. All these different ways that we could do missions, except preaching the word of God. And so I came back from that vision weekend, quote unquote. And um, actually, because I was in seminary, I had to write a, you know, I had to do some homework for my classes. So one of the homeworks that I did uh, for a class was I wrote a response to, to that vision weekend, how I felt about it. And I basically wrote in the paper, um, I think for the mission trip, we're going to focus on the word and hammer away at the word. And I shared my thoughts with some close seminary friends who were also seminarian students who are today pastors and elders of various churches in the United States in this major reformed Presbyterian denomination. And one response from one of my classmates was, perhaps I should be less stubborn and heed the advice of the missions training program of this major missions organization. I was wrong. Okay, so we went on the mission trip. 
Um, after the first day of sharing the word of God with the kids, and the kids all responded very enthusiastically, the pastor of the host church that brought us there pulled me aside and said, listen, we are trying to build a relationship with the locals. So can you back off on the word of God a little? Because you're, you're offending people. Now, the kids weren't offended. The kids were enthusiastic, overwhelmingly so. Uh, in fact, the kids were so enthusiastic that the second or maybe it was the third day of us being there, the local authorities got together got all their pots and pans together and decided to have a parade to their mushroom god right outside the school while we were having class. And then we got together as a team and we prayed and then a monsoon happened that later afternoon and they wiped them, you know, drove them back home. And so we could have our lessons about God's word in silent peace. And the kids loved it. And yet this host pastor said, uh, tone down on the Bible because we're trying to build a relationship with the locals. Today's text tells us plainly and simply that we must give attention to the Word of God, to the reading of it, to the exhortation, and to doctrine. There's actually a great emphasis on it because the Bible uses several verses to, to, to repeat and repeat and repeat to us, and we'll talk about these verses it, it emphasizes and re-emphasizes how important it is. And it's such a plain and straightforward teaching, an agreeable teaching, I think, that I think all churches should just say amen and heartily agree with it, especially conservative, reformed churches, especially missions organizations, especially churches or host churches that are trying to bring the gospel to a place that desperately needs it, hasn't heard it in a generation, and yet here we are throwing obstacles after obstacle after obstacle to the, the preaching of God's Word. So, we need to give attention to, to God's Word. And unfortunately, this is a message that we need to hear again. Not we as in Christ Church, thankfully, okay, but the church overall we need to remember this message again. So that's what we're going to do. First, we're going to talk about what are we supposed to give attention to? Next, we're going to talk about how important is this? How important is it that we give attention to this thing? And then last, we're going to talk about why. Why is it so important? Okay, so what are we supposed to give attention to? How important is it? And then why? Why is it so why is it so important? So first, what are we supposed to give attention to? If everybody would look at verse 13, 1 Timothy 4, verse 13. The Bible says, till I come, Paul's writing to Timothy, and Paul writes, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. A little bit of a background. When Paul writes, till I come, uh, this is a promise that Paul will not fulfill. To Timothy. Paul wishes he could visit Timothy, but he's, nev he's never actually going to get to visit Timothy again. Why? Um, when Paul writes this first letter to Timothy, this is sometime after the events of Acts 28, when Paul is imprisoned for the first time in Rome. He's under house arrest at the end of Acts 28. Um, according to 
many early church sources, after that period of time, maybe about two years, where Paul was imprisoned in Rome for the first time, he was released from house arrest, and he actually took a fourth missionary journey. The book of Acts records three missionary journeys of Paul, the third one ending up in Rome, Acts 28, where he's under house arrest. According to many early church sources, Paul, after that arrest, very likely took a fourth journey where he went all over the place, including to Spain, including back to Asia Minor, where Ephesus was, um, and to Macedonia, to, 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 to Greece. It's during this fourth journey where Paul leaves Timothy to be in charge of the Ephesian church, and he also leaves Titus to be in charge of the churches in, on the island of Crete, and where Paul writes these letters to Timothy and, and Titus, 1 Timothy and, and Titus. Okay, so all this happened during Paul's fourth missionary journey. Imagine if Paul asked one of you, Mark, Rod, Jamal. Imagine if Paul came to you as he's traveling through. Okay, let's say he's left Timothy at Ephesus, but Paul says to you, Mark, uh, here we've I've come back to Corinth and uh, it's a mess. Worship is out of control and people have lost their focus. They become greedy. They become selfish. They become pompous. Uh, but I need to go and visit other places. You stay and you take care of Corinth for me. What would you say? How would you respond to Paul? What would you do? So this is, these are the questions and these are the thoughts, maybe doubts, that's going through Timothy's mind as Paul is leaving Timothy here in Ephesus. Now, at the end of this fourth journey, Paul is actually arrested again and imprisoned again in Rome a second time. Uh, this happens around the year 68 under the Emperor Nero. We all know what type of tyrant Nero was, how antagonistic he was towards the Christians. So when Paul is imprisoned in Rome the second time, this imprisonment is vastly different than the first. In the first imprisonment, he's in a house under house arrest, but he's able to receive, it actually says in Acts 28, all who wanted to see Paul, he was able to welcome. Okay, This second imprisonment is different. He's chained in a cold dungeon like a common criminal. Uh, Paul even says in 2 Timothy that it was hard for people to find him. He was so secluded away in some prison that the brethren had trouble finding him. And Paul knew that he wouldn't live very long past this imprisonment. He knew he was going to die. And so this is when Paul writes this second letter to 2 Timothy. Uh, he, he writes that second letter to Timothy. Okay? So, back in our verse, verse 13. When Paul says in this letter to Timothy, Till I come, that's a promise that Paul's never going to fulfill. Paul's left Timothy in Ephesus. He wants to come back. But eventually, he gets imprisoned in Rome and he never escapes. He's actually martyred. Again, think, put yourself in 
the shoes of Timothy. If you were worried about being able to handle Ephesus and you had some inkling of hope that Paul would someday return to rescue you from your circumstance, and here you get a letter from Paul saying, till I come, and you have some hope that, okay, yes, Paul's going to come and, you know, help me out at least with this Ephesian church. As the years pass, and another year passes, and another year passes, and you hear news of Paul being imprisoned a second time, and they can't even find him, and he's in a cold dungeon somewhere, and he's chained up. I think if you're Timothy, the, 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 the harsh reality would start to settle in. I'm it. There's no reinforcements coming. This is it. I'm in charge now. What do I do? What do I focus on? What is my ministry going to look like in Ephesus? And so these verses here about giving attention to the reading, the exhortation, and doctrine, these instructions would become more and more and more important to Timothy. So let's talk about these instructions. What was Timothy supposed to give attention to? He's supposed to give attention to the reading of God's word. That word for reading literally is the word for to know again. Okay, to know again, which implies a couple things. Uh, the reading of God's word has to be repetitive, not just once, you know, but, but repetitive. Actually, this, this is a word that's used, that was used for the public reading of God's word. So, so we're not just talking about personal devotion reading God's word, but we're talking about publicly in a church setting like this, publicly reading God's word, and not just once, not just occasionally, not just for Easter or not just for Christmas, but over and over again um, in a language that the people would understand in a, in a local, in a colloquial language, because people have to know what you read. Um, so the way the Roman church does it, where they read it in Latin and nobody understands uh, what is being read, that's not the word that's used here. Okay, this is the public, knowable reading, recognizable reading of God's word. Timothy's supposed to give attention to that. He's supposed to give attention to exhortation. When we hear the word exhortation, uh, we the English word, we usually think about just, you know, calling somebody unto obedience to God's word, okay? But the, but the Greek word is actually a lot more than that. The word that's used here for exhortation is actually where we get the word for the Holy Spirit. It's the word paraclete, okay? It's the, yes, Paula, it's the word paraclete, which includes the idea of encouraging, which includes the idea of intercession, it includes the idea of comforting. So when Timothy is supposed to give attention to exhortation, it's not just saying, well, you've got to not just read God's word, but apply it and call people unto obedience to God's word. It, it's, it's to say to Timothy, you're, you're, you're supposed to not just read God's word, but encourage people by it, comfort people by it. Help people, uh, 
help intercede for people through God's word. It means all of those things. And then Timothy is supposed to give attention to doctrine. Uh, this is a word that means teaching. But again, you know, there's many things. There's, there's many things that when translated into English, doesn't fully translate into English, okay? The English word for teaching, uh, we often get the idea of just filling somebody up with head knowledge, okay? When you go to college, for example, uh, basically the main question you ask is, well, what is this degree or what is this class good for? When am I, when am I ever going to use Calc 2 in my life? Okay, and you get filled up in your head with all these different things that are not applicable. That's not the idea for, that's not the Greek idea of teaching, the Greek word for teaching or doctrine. Uh, the, 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 the original context, that word means teaching that is applied to life. So this is practical knowledge. Um, perhaps a better English word might be wisdom. Okay, knowledge that is able to be applied in the right situation with the right timing in the right uh, degree in life. That's that word, doctrine. It is applied teaching. So Timothy is supposed to give attention to reading, exhortation, and doctrine slash applied teaching. Notice Paul emphasizes these things and nothing else. Nothing else. Uh, these aren't even the top three most important things out of 10 things that Timothy could possibly sh or should possibly do in the church in Ephesus. These are the only three things that Paul tells Timothy, give attention to these things in church. He doesn't tell Timothy, make sure you have a wonderful, wonderful praise team. So when people come, they can be enraptured and have a, have a spiritual high and you know, make sure there's smoke machines and lights and strobes and make sure you tell jokes so that when you're preaching up there, people don't fall asleep and uh, you've got good stories to, to connect. Make sure you have coffee with, with the folks after worship because, you know, if you don't connect with them on a, on a personal level, uh, they might not want to hear what you have to say. Make sure you... Sometimes throw in topical sermons because people might get tired of the line-by-line -line preaching of God's word and they might want to hear about how to invest money or how to raise your kids or how to, you know, um, what good movies to watch and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not, you know, those things that churches do may be helpful. I'm not saying don't, you know, you know, don't have singing, okay? But they're not the focus Notice Paul doesn't tell Timothy anything else. He tells Timothy just to give attention to these three things. How important is it? Well, in the next verses, from verse... Let's see, from verse 14 to 16. Five times the Bible emphasizes how important this is. The Bible uses five different phrases. The Bible doesn't need to do that. The Bible should, only, should be able to just tell us once, and we should say, 
that's important enough because this is God's word and we should take it seriously. Okay, but for some reason the Bible uses five different phrases to reinforce to Timothy how important it is that he gives attention to God's word. Let's look at each one. In verse 14, the Bible says, do not neglect this gift that is in you. The word neglect means to be careless with something or to view something as insignificant. The Bible says to Timothy, do not neglect, do not be careless with this gift that God's giving you. We just had Valentine's Day, right? Imagine if I gave my wife a gift, some flowers, and she just kind of tossed it, you know, put it on the counter and it just withered and wilted and was careless with it. Or imagine if she did it to me, she bought me something and I just, oh, thanks, honey. And it just kind of left it, you know, on the porch and didn't. Didn't care about it. Uh, So if you neglect a gift, that's kind of disrespectful to the gift giver. So Timothy is supposed to do the opposite. He's supposed to honor the gift giver, give respect to the gift giver by paying attention to this gift, this gift of word ministry that he has. How is Timothy supposed to honor or treasure this gift and the gift giver? Well, the Bible, thankfully, ex, you know, expounds on, on this, okay? Uh, verse 15, Timothy is supposed to meditate on these things. And again, this word for meditate, you know, just it's hard to capture in the English, okay? Because in the English, when we see this word meditate, we think, oh, we think some kind of Buddhist or Hindu meditation or new age meditation where either we're supposed to clear out our minds or fill our minds with some kind of mantra and, and kind of just, you know, space out, I guess, okay? Not the Greek idea of meditate. Uh, the, this word meditate actually means to study something and to practice something. So when I was a child and I practiced violin every day for an hour, you could say I was meditating in violin. Uh, the word was actually used to describe ancient Greek orators. You know how in Acts when Paul goes to Athens and he's at the Areopagus Hill, mm-hmm. he's at the Areopagus, and uh, and it says that all day the Greeks were just they love to philosophize and debate. Okay, just or, or the the art of oration was very important for the Greeks. Well, they would have to practice. Okay, and this is the word used to describe ancient Greek orators who would practice their speeches and their orations before they actually went to the Areopagus and. And, and gave it, okay? So the word actually means to practice and to study, not just to sit there in some kind of new age way and space out. Do we study about our word gifts, preaching, teaching, evangelism, 
Do we practice? Goes on, another emphasis. In verse 15, the second part of verse 15, the Bible says, Give yourself entirely to these things. Uh, this is where you kind of get the feeling that Paul just kind of runs out of words. Because literally, when Paul says, Give yourself entirely, uh, literally the text is, Be in them. Be in them. Think about a situation where you've been so engrossed or so wrapped up in something that when somebody asks you, well, what have you been doing? The only response you have for them is, I was in this. So like when I was a seminary student and I was taking my final exams and preparing for my final exams and I was just reading my notes and <laughs> reading books and for, 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 for many, many hours a day, I would say, I, I'm in my books. There's no other way to describe it. When in sports, when a, a college player graduates and they go up to the professional level and they have to study the playbook, it's this huge binder and there's so many plays and so much new jargon that they have to learn. What did they say? I'm in the playbook. Okay. So, so, so this word to give yourself entirely to something means you're in it. You're so immersed by something that you describe yourself as I'm in this thing. That's what the text is saying. Are we in our word ministries? Look at verse 16. The Bible says, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. There the word take heed means to hold fast upon something or to hold it close. Um, Actually, it was a word that was used when soldiers would detain people, refugees, or, or, or uh, not refugees, fugitives. Okay, when, when somebody would be caught the first time and they would flee, fugitive, uh, if, a, if a Roman soldier would go and take a hold of you and not let go, that's the word that's used, okay? To, to take heed, to take hold of something, to grasp it, to hold upon something, or even to hold it close. Okay, that's that word. When, so over Christmas, one of the gifts I got was a puzzle, a 500-piece puzzle. Um, I don't know. I like doing puzzles. But what do you have to do in a puzzle? You take a piece and you have to hold it close. You have to take heed to it. You have to hold it very close and examine the design and the picture and try to figure out, okay, where does this go? The shape and all of that. Well, that's what we're supposed to do when we take heed of ourselves and to the doctrine. Last but not least, the Bible says that Timothy is to continue in them. That word continue means to stay on top of something, to remain on top of something. So like think about a skateboard, right? I've always had trouble with skateboards. <laughs> I've always had trouble with skateboards because I had trouble staying on top of it. But that was the, that's the struggle. That's what you're supposed to practice with skateboarding is you're trying to stay on top of the, of the board as it moves. Okay, this is that word. You know, they didn't have skateboards back then. But it's, the, it's that word literally meaning to remain on top of something. Don't leave off of it. Don't depart from it. 
Don't just give a little attention to God's word and say, "Well, we're done with that. People aren't interested. Uh, we're not releasing a whole bunch of fruit. We're not really growing in numbers as a church. Let's try something else." No, that's not what that word means. That's not what that word continue means. Continue means you stay on something and you remain on top of it until when? Until Jesus comes. The point is, in these verses, the Bible uses five different phrases to tell us how important it is to give attention to the reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. Five different ways, and the Bible doesn't have to do that. The Bible should only tell us once, and we should say that's enough because the Word of God is the Word of God, and it's inerrant, infallible, and authoritative, and we should listen to it. But no, the the Bible uses five different ways. And some people might say, "Well, maybe this is overkill." God, why? Why remind Timothy? Timothy, by all intents and purposes, looks like a very faithful man, right? So why spend? And Paul knows Timothy, and Paul trusts Timothy. It wasn't like Timothy was a, you know, somebody that Paul didn't trust or criticize. And Paul's trying to like wrangle Timothy's hand to be like, "You better." No, Timothy is very pliant, and he's you know he's Paul's disciple, and Paul trusts him. And yet Paul spends five different ways to tell Timothy, give attention to this, meditate on it, don't forget it, take heed to it, remain on it. Why? I think we need to consider the current state of churches, not just today but all throughout history, because as I gave an example in the beginning. Uh, even though this passage should be very straightforward and should be very agreeable, the fact of the matter is, it's not. It's not practiced, and churches find all kinds of reasons to move off or move from the Word of God. Um, I'm glad we give attention to the reading, the public reading of God's Word, New Testament, Old Testament. You know, I'm in my 40s, and I've moved around a lot. Wasn't in every church.、Uh, I would even say it wasn't in most churches that we had this regular public reading of God's word. You know, they would read the scripture passage for the sermon, but that was it, and then we wouldn't get any other reading of God's word.、Um, I've been in churches where somebody literally said to me once, and this was a deacon chair. This was the church didn't have elders. This the church was a mess. Uh, the 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 head of the board,、uh, it was a, called a deacon board at the time. He came to me and said, "Isaac, I don't think line by line preaching of God's word is helpful." I said, "Okay, <laughs> you don't think? Did I hear that right? You don't think line by line teaching of God's word is helpful?" Now, if his suggestion was, "Isaac, I think you need to work on your preaching. I need. I think you need to be more applicable. I think you need to." You know, have better sermon illustrations. Fine. You know, I'm I'm pliable that way. No, but but he said I don't think that philosophy of expository preaching, line by line preaching of the scripture, is helpful. I think you need to do some topics to help draw people in. I said, no, <laughs> no, thank you.、Uh, and then he actually wrote a paper to submit to the board,、uh, complaining about how he thought line by line preaching was not good for church. Okay. Consider the current state of churches. 
in how many would paying much attention to God's word be welcomed? Be a focus. Be a thing where people said, I want to go to church because this church focuses on God's word. I want to go to this church because it gives attention to God's word. How many churches can we say do that versus, well, let's be a church that's welcoming and does all kinds of different things. And once we bring them into the door and we kind of hook them with some other way and they're kind of stuck here, then occasionally let's slide in some topical sermon where we can slide in some portions of God's word and back away from it and say, there's coffee afterwards and there's snacks and there's fellowship. You know, how many churches can we say that the preaching of God's word and the reading of it is the main draw and not the size of the church, not community, not the name of the pastor? Last but not least, why is giving attention to the Word of God so important? Verse 16, the very end of verse 16. The Bible says, For in doing this, meaning giving attention to the Word of God, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. When the Bible says, that you will save both yourself and those who hear you. It's basically, it's just saying that the word of God is an instrument of God's salvation. God uses his word as an instrument of salvation. He works through his word. That's all it's saying. It is not saying that, so, so it's only describing God's word as an instrument of salvation, not as a ground or reason for our salvation. You see the difference? The ground or the reason for our salvation is still God, is still Jesus's sacrifice on the cross for us. And the reason for our salvation is still the grace of God through Jesus's work received by faith alone. Okay. So this verse is not saying to Timothy, if you preach well, based on how well you preach, then you are saved and the people that listen to you are saved. Okay? It's not saying there's a new standard of salvation based on how well the pastor preaches. Because if that was the basis, then I'm sorry, guys, nobody is saved. <laughs> okay? The ground and basis the reason for our salvation is still Christ's work alone, by grace alone, received through faith alone. Okay, But this verse is saying that the way God saves people, the instrument that he uses, is his word. There's actually three instruments that God uses. Only three instruments that God uses. His word, the sacraments which we will do after this worship, and prayer. Those are the three lone instruments that God uses, what we call ordinary instruments. Ordinary meaning these are things that are visible, that are tangible, that you can touch and you know, do with your hands and you know, say with your mouth and 
things like that. Things that are, you know, more human. Okay. If, if I could put it that way, these are ordinary. These are means of grace, ordinary things. The only three ordinary things that God uses to communicate to us the benefits of redemption, the word sacrament and prayer, no other things, not spiritual highs from going to spiritual conferences, not, uh, some performance art on, on, on a church stage that, that kind of inspires you to do something. Okay. Not coffee with your favorite pastor. I mean, unless the pastor's reading to you God's word. Okay. And then it's God's word that is moving you and helping you and not the coffee. You, you get the difference. It's like going to a dentist and you know, you have a toothache and you know, the dentist is going to help you, but the dentist only works through his instruments, right? The, the, the water thing, the, the, the scraper thing, you know, the, the Novocaine in the, in the drill, if he has to drill. Okay. He, he works through those instruments and no other instruments. You don't want to go to a dentist and he pulls out an anvil with a, with a, with a, with a nail in the hammer. You know, you don't want to go to a dentist and he pulls out some cotton candy and stuffs it in your mouth, right? You want to go to a dentist and the dentist only works through certain instruments. That's what the word is. The word is a necessary instrument for salvation. We read over and over again, Ezekiel 37, right? Where the prophet Ezekiel sees this valley of bones. And it says in that passage that the valley of bones represents Israel's spiritual state. They are dead. They are dead in their trespasses. They are dead in their sins. And the God and, and God asks Ezekiel, can these come alive, these bones? And Ezekiel says, no, you know God. And then what does God tell Ezekiel to do? He says, preach, prophesy, which is a word for preach. Preach, and Ezekiel does. He preaches God's word. And then what happens to these dead bones? They start to come alive, but they're not fully alive. So then God tells Ezekiel, preach some more, tell the breath. In Hebrew, breath is the same word as spirit. Tell the spirit to come in and make these bones alive. And the spirit does, makes these bones alive and they become a living army of God. As a picture of how Israel is supposed to come out of their spiritual deadness to being alive for God. How? How does it happen? Well, the spirit of God does it, but through the instrument of preaching God's word. No other instrument. First Peter 1, which we read, talks about how we were given a new life, not through corruptible things, but through incorruptible things. Well, what is that precious incorruptible thing that, that gave us new life? It said it's the word of God, right? Everything else fades away, but the word of God endures forever. It's powerful like that. Psalm 19, which we will read, talks about the power of God's word as an instrument of salvation. Verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So God's word is able to convert us. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It's able to make us wise. The statutes of the Lord are right, able to rejoice the heart. You ever read God's word and... 
you felt joy. And I'm not talking about, again, I'm not talking about a fleeting emotion. I'm talking about something in your heart, something in your soul changes, and you have joy, and you have comfort, and you have rest because God's word spoke to you. That's the power of God's word. And only God's word has that power to change people's hearts. We were talking this morning about how difficult it is to have a conversation to, to convince somebody of double predestination when they're really set against it. And basically, we came to the conclusion that it's a heart issue, right? If they want to be stubborn against it and they don't want to affirm it, then they will spend all day and you'll go around and around in circles all day with them and they will not be convinced. Basically, it takes an act of God to change the heart, right? Well, how does God do it? Through his word. Through his word. At some point, God's word is going to break through. And his spirit's going to use that word to break through that hard heart and help them to see, help the blind to see. That's the only way. Again, we're not talking about some fleeting emotions that some churches try to sell you. We're not talking about some spiritual highs that are transitory and you know, false revivals based on who knows what. We're talking about real spiritual life, real spiritual change that comes about only through the power of God, through his ordained instrument, which is his word. That's why giving attention to God's word is so important. Because this is the only thing that saves people. If we're in a church and we are doing all kinds of different things and we're not focusing on God's word, then we're not saving people. And we're not saving ourselves. We might be giving people a good time. We might be giving them fellowship. We might be helping them to socialize with their friends. We might be giving them a, a nice entertainment, sort of, you know, godly entertainment on Sunday before they do their, you know, heathen entertainment the rest of Sunday. Okay, we might be doing a whole bunch of other things in church and giving people a whole bunch of what might be considered humanly helpful things if we don't focus on the word, but we're not saving them. We're not saving them because God only works through these instruments, means of grace that he has ordained. Prayer, sacrament, and word. This is the reason that Paul, in Romans 1, 16, that very famous, powerful verse, this is the only reason that Paul is able to proclaim, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. He's not ashamed of God's word because it's the power of God. He doesn't just say, well, it's something that makes you feel good. It's something that inspires you to do you know, greater things. He, he directly correlates it. Not ashamed of the word of God because it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Romans 1, 16. Are we a church where people come to be saved? That's the basic question that I lay at all of our feet. Are we a church where people can come and they can be saved? I know sometimes we have visitors that come to worship with us. And a lot of the struggle sometimes is 
well, I go to this other church and I go to this other church and I like the preaching here and I like the word of focus on the word of God here, but there's other things in other churches that draw me there. The question we need to ask them is, when you go to XYZ church, whatever church it is, are you being saved? That's the main point, right? The, the point isn't about when you go to a church, do you feel good? Do you have friends? Do you feel included? Do you feel inspired? Do you feel like, you know, even, even good things such as, do you feel you have a new purpose in life? No, it's not about any of that. It's about, are you being saved? Are you being saved? And if you're not hearing the word of God in church, you are not being saved. You're doing something else, but you're not being saved. I'm glad we're in this church where the word of God is such a high value in our worship. Let's continue to do that for the friends that are around us. And I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand. You know, we're not the only church that does this. So if somebody is spending some time here and some time in another church and they're getting the word of God at that other church, great. Okay, great. Because they're still being saved because they're hearing the word of God, okay? But if we have friends, if we have people in our lives that are going to churches for other reasons and they're not getting the word of God, we need to ask them this question. Are you going to a place where you are being saved? Or are you going to a place that's giving you other types of fulfillment which are not salvation and which in the end you're not taking with you to the next life, to eternal life? May God give us the grace. May God give us the perseverance and the strength to keep paying attention to his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, these reminders to Timothy, how important it is that we give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, and to the teaching of your word. Um, Lord, I do thank you for uh, Christ Church and how we are trying to be faithful to this command. Uh, I know uh, none of us are perfect and there may be still areas where we may need to improve. Certainly me included, Lord, I, I pray that you would help me to uh, be a better teacher and preacher of your word. So certainly none of us are perfect and there are is room for improvement, but Lord, grant us grace. We desire to be faithful in this respect. So grant us grace, give us the strength to continue to give attention, the, the, the right attention that it deserves to your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.